You know, one of the, I don't know if you were here early enough to see the, the youth experience at, um, in California, but they had a great time. And I, w- I was struck by one of the comments from one of the girls, Amy. She, she said when people came in at the beginning of the re- week, they, they struggled with hope. Does that make sense? And then as the kind of week trip progressed, they, they found more joy and, and excitement in what God was doing. And I just wondered, any of you guys ever struggle with hope? And if so, I think we all do at different levels. Any of you struggle with fear or worry? Everybody's hands goes up. Uh, you know, I think we, it's something that we all struggle with. Different things can set it off. Um, going to the doctor can set it off. Uh, getting a, a bank statement can set it off. Uh, a Supreme Court decision can set it off. I mean, there's just different things in our lives that, that set off this, this kind of this panic or this fear, this worry, and and it, when it gets really bad, we, we get a sense or a feeling of a loss of hope. And, and that's a red flag from God saying, hey, I'm still here, guys. And, and so this morning, I want to see if we can breathe some, some air into wherever you are in life, if you're struggling with this, this idea of hope. So we're beginning the sermon series we're calling, So You Say You Need a Miracle. And, and I say that because I, I truly believe that some of you, some of us, me included, we, we need a miracle today. And some of you need one of those superheroes like we see in the movies, you know, to fly on down to save us from our lives or from our situations or from our struggles or somehow zap us with one of those rays and make us better or whatever it might be. We need, we need a superhero. And maybe we need this miracle at work. Maybe we need it in our finances. Maybe we need it in our health. Maybe we need it in our marriage. Maybe our country needs it to different levels. And so if you're saying, I don't really need one a day, Pastor, then just know that someday you will. And so hence the series, because I promise you one day you will need a miracle in your own life. You'll find yourself losing hope in whatever the situation. And you'll need to remind yourself that God is still there. And so to take a look at that, today I want to take a look at one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And it's really a story about how do you face incredible odds when they're against you, right? And how do you do it from a godly perspective? Because I think we, we all have a way of doing it that may not always reflect the will of God. But how do you do when things gang up against you, right? And, and if you're there this morning, if you're struggling with those kind of things, then know that this message is for you. All right, the, the background of this story is pretty cool. There's, there's actually three enemy nations <laughs> that are, are going against this nation of Judah. Judah's where God's people were in the Old Testament. Uh, there was a split in Israel between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was Judah. This is later on in the story, or this is before, anyway, this is after they split after a while. So these three enemy nations are coming against Judah. It's three against one. In verse 1 it says, And after this the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites, and these I'm sure are related to the stalactites and the stalagmites and the candlelights and the dynamites. They are ancient ancestors of the Gazuntites. I'm sure all those different things, right? But anyways, three enemy nations, three different kings, and it says they came to make war on Jehoshaphat, which was the king of Judah at that time. So there's big trouble in the land. They are militarily outdone. They, their little army cannot withstand the three nations that are coming against them. If you ever felt like that in life where it just feels like, you know, you're gasping for air, you know, just trying to make it, and then it comes a new wave, and now you're choking on this stuff, and it feels like that. They're, they're, they're coming against them. There's no hope. There's no hope of rescue. There's no hope of remedy. There's no hope that somehow they can do it. They were losing this whole idea of hope in their life. So anyway, there was big trouble. These Ammonites and the Moabites and Mennonites and three to one odds. 
And maybe you've had a day like that, wherever you felt like everything is against you. You lost your job, the toilet backs up, the beans boil over, somebody comes to the door and you're still in curlers or in boxer shorts. Everything seems to be going wrong all at once. And if you've ever felt like that, again, this story is for you. Three enemy nations ganging up against one small nation. There's overwhelming odds against them. And yet then they experience this incredible miracle. They experienced something they couldn't believe, they couldn't understand, they never could have expected in a million years. Why? I mean, you start asking, weren't they afraid? Well, of course they were. In verse 2, it picks up. It says, some of the men came and told Jehoshaphat, hey, a vast army is coming against you from Edom on the other side of the sea. And the next word in the passage that we find is the answer to this question. It says they were alarmed. Alarm. I think that's the, the typical reaction when you face fear when you face crisis, when you face those situations where you just don't know what to do, right? And when things fall apart, when people gang against you, when everything seems to be conspiring against you, your natural reaction then in those moments is fear, alarm. And so the issue becomes then, what, what do you do with this fear when it comes? Do you just get discouraged and give up? A lot of people do that. Do you not even try even more? Are you intimidated? Do you kind of crawl back into a little shell and just pretend and hope that it all kind of goes away? Or are you motivated by incredible odds? Saying, no, nobody says we can do it, but we can do it. It's the cry of the Tigers fan. You know, it's just what it is. But the people in this situation, they found a way forward. They, they remembered God in the midst of their situation, Right? The enemies were coming. They weren't stopping for coffee breaks. They weren't stopping at McDonald's. They're coming. But in the midst of their despair, they remembered God, and they did four things in the midst of that situation that helped them find the miracle that they eventually found. They heard these three enemies were coming against them, and they did four different things that God calls us to do when we're facing these kind of odds in our life. And one of the first things that we see in the story is that God called them to do this to tune in to God and to pray. Listen to what they did. It says in verse 3, the alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He remembered God, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. How many of you guys want to go on a fast? Anybody? That's curious. No. So imagine that, right? I mean, they're kind of, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. It says in the midst of this turmoil and this of not having answers, they turned to the Lord, and the people came together to seek help from God. Now, I don't know what it would take in our country for that to happen. Something big, I guess. But it could happen in our church, couldn't it? It could happen in our families. I mean, we as individuals could do it. They tune in to God and they begin to pray. And so let me just ask you this. Do you guys do that? Do you do it in your families? Do you, do you do it in your own lives? Are you praying about the problems in your life? Or are you kind of doing it the, it's like that story I, I share off it, you know, the things were really bad in the church, they didn't have any answers for the finances or, or for what, the, you know, was going on in the church. And so finally the elders came to the pastor, and the pastor said, what are we, they said, pastor, pastor, what are we going to do? And he says, I don't know, I think, it's, I think it's time to pray. And one of the elders cried out, oh no, has it come to that? You know, do we pray to God as if he's part of the situation? Do we forget that he's involved and start to become overwhelmed by what we think is to come? Whether that be health issues or world issues or financial issues or, and most of the time, just relational issues, right? Does it back us into a corner in relationships where we act in counterproductive ways instead of productive ways? 
inquired of the Lord, and they came to seek God, and they tuned into God and began to pray. In verse 5 to 12, then you see Jehoshaphat, this king, leading his people in prayer. And it says this, King Jehoshaphat went and stood before them, and he prayed aloud. And in these verses, he prays three things that I think are just awesome and things that we need to remember when we're scared, when we're facing a mountain, when we need a miracle. And the three questions that he asks in the midst of this prayer are this. Verse 6, he says, are you not? Question mark. Verse 7, he says, did you not? Question mark. And then he asks, verse 12, will you not? Yes, three questions of God when they were freaking out, when they didn't know what to do. In verse 6, he says, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands. And he's just saying that one of the first things you need to do when you're facing those tall mountains that lie before you, when you're facing those crises moments where you don't know what to do, is you need to remind yourself of who your God is. He's the God that speaks things into being. He's the God for whom nothing is impossible. That we cry out, are you not the God of heaven? Didn't you make this whole place to begin with? And if you made it, Lord, I know you can solve these problems. But it's always the starting point to remind ourselves that God's there in the midst of this turmoil that we get. Or every time you turn on the news, right? Do you feel better afterwards or before? Just curious. Usually not better. And so you turn on stuff like that. Do you forget that God's involved or you get caught up in the news commentators? When you go to the doctors, do you remember that God is there or do you get caught up in what the doctor says? It was the night before Katie went in for her brain surgery. And the doctor called at 11 o'clock at night, which I thought was pretty late. And he said, it looks like Katie has a pretty aggressive cancer. We got the PET scan results. It looks like it's a pretty aggressive cancer. And we've been praying the whole time that God would just take it away, that they would go, go out of there. And, and so I got that news, and I didn't even call Beth. You know, I was at the hospital. She was getting some sleep at home. She did the day shift. I did the night shift. And I just started praying. And the next morning, they did the surgery. And I don't know when we found out after that. But the surgery went great, so we were just waiting on the results of the cancer part. And it came and returned to be the most smallest cancer possible, I guess, where she didn't even need chemo or anything. When we forget that God is there, I don't care what the situation, we can get overwhelmed quickly. We can start worrying and we start being afraid. We start responding to stuff that we don't even know what to do when we forget that he's there. So we need to remind ourselves in the midst of the moment, in the midst of the situation, to turn to the one who can do anything. And after you've done that, Jehoshaphat says, remind yourself of what God has done in the past. He says, not only are you not, but he says, did you not? Oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, He's just saying, God, remember all those things you did in the past? I mean, how faithful you were to them. You know, when you're going through tough times, one of the ways to build your faith is to remember all the things that God has done for you. I was in a Bible study, a small group one time with a lawyer, and I just remember encouraging this small group, you know, hey, if you ever doubt God's faithful in prayer, take, do a prayer journal for a year and write down, you know, everything, you know, that you prayed and when he answered and all those kind of things. And I've encouraged that many times and whatever. It was over a year later, maybe a year and a few months later, I was, I think, making this, this thing again, and I was throwing it out there. And this lawyer raised his hand, and he said, you know what, Pastor? I have something to say. And I said, what? He says, well, I'm a lawyer, and by nature, a little skeptical. 
And so last time, about a year ago, you challenged us to do that, and so I did. And every, every day for a year, I've been writing down prayers and the dates. It was very particular. And then he said I would go back and I would write when you would, God would answer it. He's answered 93.7% of my prayers, you know, and he calculated or whatever. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, because I've been doing this. And he says, I didn't think what you were saying could be possibly true. But I've been blown away by God's faithfulness in the little things and in the big things. And he said, I'm convinced in this last six point whatever percent, he says, that it's just not time yet. But God still has heard my prayer and he'll answer. When we forget God, it causes all sorts of problems. And we do that partly because we forget what he's done for us in the past. I can't tell you how many people I talk to in counseling that are freaked out in the moment, even though a year before, two years before, five years before, God had did some incredible miracle in their life. But this is a new moment, and we always get caught up in the new moments, and we forget. We get amnesia for how faithful our God has been, because our question is, well, is he going to do it again? Which is then what Jehoshaphat says in verse 12, cry out, God, I want you to do this again. Oh, God, he says, will you not judge them? Won't you do it again? I need a repeat performance, God. God, I know who you are, and I know what you've done. Now, God, do it one more time. One more time, God. Show up again one more time, and that's the way you pray for a miracle. And after we've turned toward God and we've remembered that he's part of what we're looking at, he says, now focus on me and not on your problems. In verse 12, Jehoshaphat continues. He says, we do not know what to do, a common refrain from us. But our eyes are on you. I think the problem for so many people is that they get their eyes solely on the circumstances rather than focusing on God. And that gets them down. It gets them overwhelmed. It gets them worried. They ask them, how are you doing? They say, well, pretty good under the circumstances. But what are you doing under the circumstances? You know, circumstances are kind of like a mattress. You get on top of them and you rest easy. You get underneath and you suffocate. And so I ask you, what are you doing under the circumstances? I say that because God meant for us, calls us to be overcomers. Those who have hope in the most powerful entity in our universe. Those who have trust in one who has promised us victory in the end, no matter what we're going through. Remember what happened after 9-11 a few years ago? Everything was a mess. Too many people were reading the newspaper, looking at the news instead of the Bible. And they were all getting their cues from those things. And there was a lot of hopelessness and a lot of fear. They'd look at a newspaper, they'd say, look, all these things are just bad. In fact, you could look at just about any time and look at the newspaper or the news or the internet or whatever and say, all these things are bad. But God says, in the midst of those times, I want you to look to me. Open up the pages of Scripture. You know, it, one of the things that I want you guys to know is God's Word. Does that make sense? We live in a world today where there is no definite truth. We kind of make it up as we go. But God says, I, I gave you a truth that never changes, that you can always stand on, that you can always know is true. But if you guys don't know what it is, then you rely on talking heads like me to get up here and tell you what it is. Does that make sense? And you'll get into arguments, well, my pastor says this, and your pastor says that, or this church says this, or this church says that. And we muddle it up not only for secularists, right, but we muddle it up for ourselves in defining what is actual truth. My encouragement is to know the truth so you can go to the Bible. It's a truth that never changes, and you can find out for yourself. And so when you come on Sunday, I'm nothing more than a cheerleader telling you stuff that you already know. 
reminding you that you're forgiven, reminding you that he cares, reminding you of what truth is. And so he says in the moment, don't focus so much on the circumstance, but focus on me. You know, the, the Carrie Tenenboom, back in World War II, she was a, in a Nazi concentration t- camp. She was a Jew, and she wrote this one time. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. I think that's true. A lot of bad things happening in the world. She says, if you look within, you'll be depressed. It's where you see your own faults and failings and shortcomings. It's where you buy into Satan's lies. But if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. And so it begs the question, what is it that we got our focus on this morning? It's causing us to worry so much and stress so much. He says, look to me, and then he goes on to another step, and he says, now relax in faith. In verse 17, God responds to Jehoshaphat's prayer. He says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and then see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. God's just saying, you're not going to have to fight this particular battle. It's a pretty strange battle, to be honest. Just stay in your positions, kind of stand there and watch, and God will do this incredible thing. He's just calling us to relax in faith, relax and trust his promises. Now, the neat thing about this, I guess one of the neat things is that's the middle verse of the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17, but it really doesn't matter what counts is the truth of this verse. He says, it's not your battle, guys. You won't have to fight. Just take up your positions. It's my battle, and I will resolve it. And so he asks us to trust him to work it out. I think one of my most relaxing days ever was when I resigned as general manager of the universe. It was a great day, you know. It's because it's a day when I realized that when I did that, the world didn't fall apart. In fact, to my chagrin, the world didn't even notice that I did that, you know. Twice in this passage it says, then don't be afraid. I've got it. Don't be discouraged. Why? Because God says, it's my battle that you're facing. And has God ever lost a battle? No. He's got 100% success rate. He never loses. And if God says, it's my battle, then victory is assured. He promises in his word of truth in the Bible that we win in the end. It's one of the coolest things about the Bible, right? We don't have to go through life wondering, does God win, does Satan win? God wins, that we get to go to heaven for eternity. It's one of the coolest parts. But we lose sight of that and we lose sight of the moment. In World War II, when the Allies landed in Normandy on D-Day, between D-Day and VE Day, when they marched into Berlin and there was total conquest, there was a number of skirmishes in which the Allies had gotten beaten pretty badly, the Battle of the Bulge and others. But in the backs of everybody's minds, nobody doubted that ultimately the Allies would win. The moment they landed on Normandy, because we had far superior resources, far superior manpower, more things to claim, more resources to call on, people and things, it was simply a matter of time. We might lose some of the battles here and there, but it was a matter of time. The forces were going to be so overwhelming compared to the Axis nations. And and that's the way it is with the battles that we face. We may lose a few skirmishes here and there, But ultimately, victory is assured through Jesus if you're a believer. So God calls us to stand firm, to relax in faith in his promises. And then he goes on and gives us one more encouragement, and that's to to thank God in advance. It's kind of an incredible story. Jehoshaphat comes with his troops, and, and I know they're outnumbered three to one. And he goes, here's the battle plan. I want the choir up in front of the army, right? Take your tambourines. And so, Jerry, take the tambourines as you go out there and start singing. Go for it. We're right behind you, everybody says. You know, you go do it. 
And we're going to sing, give thanks to God. And they went into the valley. And you start asking, what's going on? And it was a symbol, right? It's a symbol saying, we're going to thank God in advance. And so they sent the choir up front. And they're singing at the top of their lungs, even before they come around the bend, even before they can see the enemy army. They're singing, giving up their position, all sorts of stuff. Singing to God, it's resounding. And they go around the corner and they see that the enemy nations, three of them, inexplicably have destroyed themselves. And so they went around the corner and they gave even more praise to God and they plundered the camp for three days. It was incredible. You see, praise is simply thanking God in advance. It's trusting that he will come through on his promises. Praise is simply verbalized faith. It's a statement of faith to say we're going to put the choir out front. That's not good military strategy. Schwarzkopf would have had a heart attack. But they did it, and they sang, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. What does that teach? It teaches that there's power in praise. When you start praising God in this situation, remembering that he's part of the situation, in the midst of the problem, thanking God that he's going to take care of it in advance, you're going to see some incredible things take place. Thanking God in advance, there's power in doing so. So the question I have for you this morning is simply this. When are you going to start thanking God in this situation? Because faith is about thanking God in advance, praising God in advance that the odds will be overcome, that the solution will arrive, that the miracle will take place. In every way, that's what we try to accomplish here on Sunday morning, isn't it? Every Sunday we try to accomplish this very thing, and so we sing praises to God. Thanking him for the forgiveness that is ours through repentance. Right? You get that we get to go to heaven because we're forgiven, right? It's the most incredible thing that God's ever done in sending his son. You know that we have to be sorry to get that forgiveness, right? And so we repent to God every Sunday, and we say, God, we're so sorry. We're sorry we're rebelling against you. We're sorry that we've gone against your truth. We're sorry that we're messing our own lives up because we know your word is a protector. We're sorry for taking your place and pretending we're God. We're sorry for making our own decisions that we know upset you. We're sorry, Lord, and we need you to help us get better. We need you to change things. We need you to forgive. And he says, okay. All the way through scripture, all people had to do was humble themselves before him and they gave grace to the arrogant he did not. The self-righteous, he did not. But he calls us to be humble before him, and he gives us everything. And so we thank God for the forgiveness, and we thank God for the place in heaven that he's prepared for us again because of Jesus. And we thank God for the promise that he'll work all things for the good of those who love him again because of Jesus. And so every Sunday we are here to celebrate. And so let me ask you again, do you need a miracle? Then God says, Remember that I'm here and fix your eyes upon Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today and we give you, we give you all our stuff. We, we give you our health situations, Lord, and we pray, heal. And if it's time for us to go be with you, then we pray, minimize the pain, you know. But we... We do pray that you intervene in powerful ways. 
We do pray for more years at times. We pray for our families who we might leave behind. We pray for your intervention. We pray for our finances, not just ours, but even our countries, knowing that all things are possible with you. We pray for our, our social situations and our friendships and our family and the things that have gotten so murky and the loss of truth in our culture. And we pray, Lord, that you would intervene, that we not forget that you're still here, that you still see, that you still know. Let us lead through our love. Let us lead by forgiveness and trying to reconcile. May you restore relationships to us and to you. And Lord, we pray for all those other struggles that we're struggling with this morning. We pray that you would be a God that would rescue us like the superheroes. That would intervene and do incredible things because of Jesus. So we pray that today in his name and all God's people said, amen.